This is ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. The most common form of cancer in the United States is skin cancer. Exposure to the sun's ultraviolet rays increases the risk for skin cancer. And it is estimated that 80% of an individual's total lifetime exposure to those rays occur during childhood. Limiting exposure to the sun will work effectively to prevent skin cancer. But even as those facts become common knowledge, the job of those hoping to promote preventive behaviors is far from complete. We will discuss the efforts of healthcare professionals to prevent skin cancer and the challenges to that goal in this Clinician's Roundtable. Welcome, I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and joining me from Atlanta, Georgia, is my guest, Dr. Karen Glantz. Dr. Glantz is Director of the Emory Prevention Research Center, Professor of Behavioral Sciences and Health Education at the Rollins School of Public Health, and Georgia Cancer Coalition Distinguished Research Scholar. She has contributed to more than 250 journal articles and book chapters. Welcome, Dr. Glantz. Thank you, Kathleen. You credit dermatologists with doing a good job of educating the public about the risks of sun exposure to the skin, but people are still not as diligent as they could be. What are some of the challenges that get in the way of prevention from sun exposure? And one of the greater challenges is simply that it's something that is an ongoing habit and not something that you go in and do once, like um, get a cancer screening test or get your cholesterol checked. Another thing is is that people often associate the risk with certain types of activities, like maybe going to the beach, but they don't think of it when they're outside kind of on a day-to-day basis, whether they're outdoors walking or outdoors playing sports in a you know, kind of a recreation setting. So I think those are among the factors. I think that there's also just the idea that it's not on people's radar screen oftentimes. Then there are all kinds of questions like fashion and the belief that a tan is attractive and so forth that enter into the mix. In the archives of dermatology, you and your fellow researchers published the findings of a systematic review conducted to determine which behavioral and community interventions work in preventing skin cancer. What did you find to be effective? We didn't find much to be effective in the way of things that actually come out of the healthcare setting. And part of the reason for that was just that there were a limited number of studies that, that reported on that. We did find that there's sufficient evidence to support school-based programs as um, having some effects, particularly for elementary school-aged children, and also some programs in recreation and outdoor settings. Uh, back to the healthcare providers. So when you looked to what they were doing, what did you learn about what they are doing to try to help with this? There's a lot of variation. I mean, one can talk about dermatologists who tend to be fairly concerned about skin cancer because they see it and they treat it, and they also see the the consequences far short of, of death, which, of course, is, is the worst consequence, particularly of melanoma. Um, They see the disfigurement, the pain, the suffering, the cost of care, and so forth that might go on. So dermatologists actually are are pretty alert in reminding and counseling their their patients. In terms of primary care physicians, there's actually a a lot more variability um, in terms of whether skin cancer prevention even gets on the radar screen um, because we're kind of in a mode in the last couple of decades of trying to get physicians to pay attention to a lot more preventive health issues um, like tobacco use and diet, physical activity, and skin cancer um, might not be at the top of the list for them. 
Right. Well, what could they learn from your study? What could physicians and probably pediatricians, as so much of the sun exposure happens during childhood, what could they take away from your study? Part of what they can take away from, from our study is the idea of offering people options for covering up and protecting themselves from the sun, um, recognizing that people aren't necessarily going to do the full extreme of of sun avoidance with physician counseling. I think they can also um, be alerted to the fact that that there are a number of continuing medical education and residency training programs and so forth that seem to be promising for um, helping physicians to be more effective in providing guidance to their patients. You developed an educational intervention for children aimed at skin cancer prevention and made the intervention site at pools, which makes sense. How is the intervention designed? This intervention is designed from what we often refer to as an ecological perspective, which is that it's aimed at both the um, individual and their environment. So when you take a, a particular setting like the swimming pool, you can increase the availability of shaded areas, you can um, put sunscreen out to make it easily available. You can put up signs to remind people. You can also schedule swimming lessons so that they're less often taking place during peak sun hours. So that's the environmental part. The educational part is actually delivered by training lifeguards to provide some very short lessons um, at the beginning of swimming lessons. So it's integrated right into kind of the system at the swimming pool, um, and the kids get to hear about it. It's short. It's not too boring. It's, this program is meant mainly for kids age 5 to 10, so it's not highly technical, but it, it reminds them, and it's meant to be kind of fun and to be supported by a, a sun-safe environment. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest is Dr. Karen Glantz, director of the Emory Prevention Research Center and author of hundreds of published journal articles on public health. Dr. Glantz, um, in a different article that you published in Pediatrics, you looked at trends in sunburns, sun protection practices, and attitudes towards sun exposure protection and tanning among U.S. adolescents, and compared survey results from 1998 to results from 2004. What were the results of those comparisons? That was a a paper that I was a co-author on that was uh, reporting on some surveys that had been conducted um, nationwide by the American Cancer Society. They were studies of both adolescents and their parents um, regarding sun protection and sunburn. One of the things that we saw was not a great amount of change between 1998 and 2004 in sun safety habits. So we we didn't really see a lot of improvement that um, we might have hoped for with the kind of public health efforts and the, the publicity that's going on. You would have predicted differently knowing that a lot of efforts are being made to improve this. Yeah, I think that we would have, but at the same time, I think that we also know that um, adolescents in particular are one of the most difficult groups to influence in terms of any kind of uh, health risk reduction behaviors, whether it's drug, <laughs> drugs and alcohol or sun protection. It seems to be an age when um, young people feel invulnerable. In that article, you mention Australia. Tell us about the National Skin Cancer Prevention Program in place in Australia. It's very, very interesting. 
Well, actually, um, it's, it's an interesting that you refer to it as a national program because in Australia, skin cancer is a much higher priority than it is in the United States because the rates of skin cancer are the, the highest in the world. They have a very predominantly Caucasian population. But actually, the programs there are, um, are, state, are each one is state-based, but they're very widespread, and they've been going on much more intensively for more than 20 years. So they're, they're well ahead of where we are in the United States. They basically take a, a multi-sectoral approach where they try to work with doctors, community members, the education system, outdoor recreation, and the whole range. And also they use a lot of mass media, particularly they've used, you know, kind of cartoonish characters that they, you know, show over and over again so that everybody uh, recognizes them and, and remembers. One of their, their slogans is slip, slop, slap, slip on a shirt, slap on some sunscreen and slap on a hat. And doing these kinds of things and repeating them over and over again gets them into the minds of the public there so that when they have an opportunity to practice those, they're more likely. Do you know, have they had better results with the adolescent population? You know, they've really had the same kind of mixed results with adolescents that we have in the United States. Um, There are actually some people that say, well, maybe we should just leave them alone when they're adolescents and then get back to them when they're when they outgrow that. It's been pretty challenging. They have worked with some specific populations in targeted programs, um, such as lifeguards who tend to be young adults and older adolescents, um, and have shown that you know, if they take a more intensive approach, that they can uh, make a dent in reducing sunburn and increasing sun protection in those groups. Has it been going on long enough that they know whether this has had a real impact on health? In one of the states in Australia, Victoria, which is where Melbourne is located, they have had a long enough period of time and have been um, conducting surveys year after year to to try to see what kinds of changes there are. And they've begun to see some downturn in the diagnosis of melanoma there. It's tricky because, um, like a lot of cancers, what you often see at first is you see um, what we call the early detection effect. You see more people being diagnosed because they're more aware of what the signs of, of the problem may be. And, and it's only after that, after it's being treated, that what you really want to look for is people living longer as well as the, the disease occurring less often. So they, they have found some effects in the studies in Victoria but they haven't been able to conduct those kinds of studies nationally. Do you see that national program in Australia as a model for the United States? There's been a lot of discussion here about whether we should be taking that aggressive and widespread of an approach as they do in Australia. And on the one hand, as someone who works in and is passionate about skin cancer prevention, I think it would be great but I think it will be a much harder sell in the United States in terms of the the rank on the priorities of the, of the health priorities here. But I do think that in particularly in, in pockets of the United States, there need to be more aggressive efforts. This is one of the few cancers that doesn't seem to have turned a corner uh, and it isn't decreasing where a lot of our other major cancer causes are going down. Skin cancer still seems to be going up. I can imagine that dermatologists would be in favor of making skin cancer prevention a public health priority. But where's the push really coming from, if there is a push? There actually are coalitions of organizations that work together. There are a number of foundations, large and small, 
There's the American Academy of Dermatology. Of course, that's the Dermatologist Professional Society, Skin Cancer Foundation, American Cancer Society. Um, And there are a number of smaller foundations founded by people who have suffered from skin cancer or who have lost a loved one. Um, And some of those foundations have really been been quite active in terms of advocacy and, and support for programs. So I think a range of that, plus, of course, the National Institutes of Health and the Centers for Disease Control have been supporting a number of initiatives. Again, the, you know, the funding is much smaller than it is for a lot of other health problems, but there is support out there for it. Thank you for listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest has been Dr. Karen Glantz of Emory University. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.